Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about motivation, and we're going to address motivation in general, drawing on the work of Edward Deasy, but also, as you might expect, we'll talk about motivation in the context of learning. But before we turn to motivation, we want to thank our sponsor for this episode. Our sponsor for this episode is Learning Technology Design. LTD is our annual virtual conference designed specifically for those who work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. LTD 2019 will be our fourth time offering this virtual conference, and we know from feedback that past attendees have found it to be a unique and highly valuable experience. Registration is open at ltd.tagoras.com, and through these last few days of November, we're offering reduced pricing as well as the opportunity to extend a complimentary invitation to a colleague or friend who has not attended LTD before. We're also offering a patronage opportunity that may interest companies that serve learning businesses. You can find out about being a patron by visiting ltd.tagoras.com slash patron. And we'd like to spotlight one of our current patrons, Digitel. Digitel helps clients leverage their content and provides conference content capture, content archiving and distribution, live streaming, webcasts, and more. And you can find out about all that Digitel has to offer at digitelinc.com. That's D-I-G-I-T-E-L-L-I-N-C.com. And we're certainly grateful to Digitel and the other patrons who have already signed on for LTD, as well as all of the learners who have registered to be part of that event with us. And we're hoping that maybe by the time we're done with this episode today, you too, dear listener, will feel motivated to sign up for LTD 2019. And so let's get back to this topic of motivation. And this is a, it's, it's an important topic. It's a big topic. It's something that we've been tracking and thinking about for years and um, have been wanting to do an episode about for a long time. So we're glad we're finally getting to that point. And when we think and talk and write about motivation, um, there is a particular figure that we tend to have in mind. And this is Edward D.C. And D.C. is is well known as a researcher on motivation, but uh, we specifically tend to reference a book of his that, uh, that we highly recommend, and that's called Why We Do What We Do, 
understanding self-motivation. And um, we'll actually call that an emphatically recommended read, uh, putting it in the vaunted company of books like Blue Ocean Strategy, um, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, and Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. We feel like why we do what we do is a book that really needs to be in every learning business professionals library and not just in the library it needs to be read it needs to be marked up you need to learn the lessons from it and we'll talk about some of those lessons in this episode yeah and so that book was first published in 1995 so it's fairly old at this point but it's definitely withstood the test of time i mean where dc's coming out of is is a very research um driven background. Uh, He's professor of psychology at the University of Rochester, and he is director of the Human Motivation Program there. And so he's spent years studying motivation and really figuring out uh, what it is that um, makes people do what they do. Um, And, you know, I I think maybe we should just start, Jeff, with a a high-level look at kind of uh, self-motivation and and the three aspects of it that that DC emphasizes and that that we also um, see as, as critical here. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we'll say before even going into that, there, there's obviously no way we're going to, you know, get into all aspects of this book. It's a very rich book. It is a very readable uh, book, though. Um, and, uh, and again, something that we highly recommend. But, um, you know, in terms of framing out uh, human motivation in general, um, kind of the underpinnings of, uh, of self-determination theory, uh, DC and his, and his uh, uh, research partner, Richard Ryan, really focus in on, on three aspects, as you're saying, Salisa. And those are autonomy, um, competence, and connectedness. Um, and, you know, DC and, uh, and Richard Ryan uh, feel very strongly that uh, these are the, the, the fundamental um, elements of human motivation. So maybe we can, you know, talk through each of those at, uh, at least a, a high level, you know, so that uh, folks understand um, where we're coming from there. So, you know, a- autonomy to, to start out with, um, really just this idea of uh, being in control. You know, feeling like uh, you, um, as a human being, and in our context, obviously, as a learner, um, have command uh, of your situation, um, that there's an element of choice uh, there, I think, is incredibly important to that. So, you know, you can think of sort of the classic uh, kid sitting in a classroom in, in, in school just being forced to go through the, the curriculum, um, really not feeling like they have much control at all, not feeling that sense of autonomy. And... Um, And unfortunately, that often doesn't leave Um, as we enter into adulthood. um, We certainly, you know, have more choice in our lives, but we may feel compelled by our employer, by our economic situation, by just the the demands of regulation and whatever industry we work in um, to to do whatever we do from an education and and learning um, standpoint and may not really feel that strong sense of autonomy that's so important for us to feel truly, truly motivated. To, to learn. So autonomy is uh, the first aspect or, or pillar of motivation um, that we wanted to talk about. The second one is competence. And so this really just gets at this idea of um, feeling like we have the right skills and knowledge to be able to um, pursue what we're, what we're engaged in. So again, in the case of learning, what we're learning about. And this doesn't mean that it should all come necessarily easily, um, but it does mean that we need to feel that we have what it takes, even if it's a bit of a stretch, even if it's a bit of a challenge, to be able to um, to undertake that learning. So that 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 sense of competence and of, of really feeling like we 
can do what we need to do, that's incredibly important to motivation because obviously it can be very demotivating if you're out of your depth and where you um, absolutely just can't do what's being asked of you. And it can also be very demotivating if um, you're in an environment where everything's too easy. Yeah. And, you know, I think we can certainly dig into this one a little bit more as we go along here. Um, I think that's often a very tricky one for folks who are in the learning business. Um, if you're responsible for, you know, facilitating, delivering learning experiences, because your learners tend to be all over the map. Um, and, and, you know, if you have a room full of people sitting in front of you, chances are that, you know, some of them are at a very high level, some of them are at a, at a relatively low level. So, you know, being able to strike the, the right level of content ex- and experience to serve uh, learners across a range. Um, I mean, that's a, a, an art and a science, and it, it can be very, very difficult to, to do. And we, we know that from our own experience, uh, both in being learners and in, in helping to deliver learning. So autonomy, um, competence, and then the last one um, we'd phrase is connectedness. Um, and this is the idea that, you know, you need to be able to, to connect uh, what you're learning um, back to your life. Uh, you need to be able to connect it to, to others, um, to the community in which you live and which you work, and, and essentially to be able to draw meaning from uh, the, uh, whatever you're doing. Um, and that, you know, if, if you're not able to feel that sense of connection back to your life, um, I think of this in terms of, um, you know, what Malcolm Knowles characterizes as relevance uh, for the, the, the adult lifelong learner, really, you know, feeling that sense of relevance, feeling that it connects back to work, feeling that you're engaged in something, you know, with others who may be in your field, in your profession, um, that you're participating in that kind of, you know, collective building of knowledge. Um, you have to have that sense of, uh, of connectedness in whatever uh, you're doing. And, and again, you know, for us, that's going to be in the case of, of learning. When I, and because you mentioned Malcolm Knowles, I, I just want to point out here too that I, I think that uh, DC's work around motivation is a dovetails very nicely with yes, what Malcolm Knowles definitely. is doing. And you think about um, one of the principles that you just highlighted one around relevance, Jeff, but then there's another one where he points out that as a person matures that the motivation to learn tends to become increasingly internal. So adults are typically more responsive to um, internal motivators, things like job satisfaction or self-esteem or quality of life versus external motivators like um, you know higher salaries or job promotions. And I know we're going to dig into that more because that's obviously key to DC's work, but I just wanted to highlight that here because I'm, I'm sure many listeners will be familiar with Knowles's work, but you know, for this very reason, you know, DC's work is equally important for those of us in um, the learning business. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think we can start, you know, dissecting all of these uh, a bit more getting into, again, you know, we're not going to be able to get into all of the, the nuances and the details uh, of, of this book and of the expansive research that DC himself, DC and Ryan have engaged in, but also a whole range of, of other uh, researchers have engaged in. I mean, we do know quite a bit about motivation uh, at this point, um, both in, you know, with, with children and elementary learning situations, but also with, with adults and unfortunately aren't leveraging that knowledge a, a lot of the time, um, which is one of the reasons we, you know, really wanted to do this episode. Um, but you just mentioned that internal versus uh, external um, motivation you know, I think it, obviously incredibly important with uh, with adult learners. Um, sometimes characterizes uh, extrinsic 
uh, motivation versus intrinsic motivation or that, you know, extrinsic control when we're talking about autonomy. So you may have things that are controlling you from the outside, basically. Uh, and, you know, classic ones there are money, uh, obviously, um, you know, when you're trying to motivate people at work, maybe even trying to motivate them to participate in training, uh, offering money as a reward, promotion, um, Praise. I mean, praise is a very tricky one, and um, you know we've we've touched on that before in talking about uh, uh, the work of Carol Dweck, for example, in, in in mindset, and you know having to be very careful about how you do praise people um, in order to not take motivation away. Um, That sounds counterintuitive, but uh, you know you don't want people who are otherwise intrinsically motivated to suddenly be doing whatever they're doing simply for the sake of getting praise. Um, And this can particularly happen in uh, uh, situations with kids and in learning, but it happens with adults um, as well. And then, of course, you know, kind of along those lines, we've seen uh, just a whole lot lately about things like, you know, badges. um, And, of course, traditionally just earning credit in general, CEs, CEUs, tricky things. I mean, you can use them in, in, in... appropriate ways, um, but those are forms of extrinsic motivation, extrinsic control, and you definitely have to be careful with them. And I think, you know, if you're in the learning business, you certainly don't want your whole learning business to be built around CE, CEU, CPE, CME, name your C. I mean, we've made this point um, before, but, you know, where we get that point from is from the work of somebody like DC. So, you know, being very careful with extrinsic uh, controls or extrinsic motivation. Right, and so then intrinsic motivation is, you know, just to make sure that folks understand, this is this is the kind of motivation that comes from within yourself, from, you know, when we're talking about a learner, from within the learner herself. And so this is, you know, satisfaction of a job well done or of something well learned. And I think one of the most interesting findings of DC's work and, and that of his colleagues is that um, it Yes, extrinsic motivation is more effective than, or excuse me, intrinsic motivation is more effective than extrinsic motivation. And I think we all get that, right? If, if you believe within yourself or if you get satisfaction from doing something uh, internally, that's, that's going to be a really big driver, much more so than, you know, a badge that you may not really care about, for example. So that's one finding. But I think really the more interesting finding is that actually extrinsic motivation can erode intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were starting to talk about, Jeff, there, where we have to be careful about how we're using praise or to the extent that if we're going to, you know, promote the fact that this uh, learning opportunity comes with, um, you know, CE or with a, a micro badge, you know, being careful to balance that with also appealing to um, what intrinsic uh, motivation may be there for the learner. And so, you know, where DC and his colleagues have gotten this is like they, they did a study where they actually um, set it up, you know, in a lab, you know, they had students come in and, and were working with these kind of little puzzles um, to do those. And they, they divided up the groups, they incentivized um, some of the students by paying them to solve these puzzles. But what they found out is that um, that group that had been paid to solve the puzzles were actually became less interested in working on the pu- puzzles after they were being paid. Mm. And then in comparison, they had the control group, the this group of students who hadn't been paid anything. They just were given this opportunity to work on the puzzles. And that group enjoyed working on the puzzles and continued to engage and had more fun with it than the group that had been paid. So, you know, that's where this um, you know, finding that extrinsic motivation can actually erode intrinsic motivation comes from. And I I know too from a, a personal example, I, I 
our son loves to read, but he absolutely hates the reading logs that he has to keep. And he's even said to me, you know, the logs ruin the reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's a shame to see that happen. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, like we're saying, you, you do have to balance this because there are there are practical considerations sometimes, you know. And so, for example, um, we've run surveys in the past. We're about to run a survey right now and have to decide whether we're going to offer um, an incentive mm-hmm. um, for that. And we'd like people to participate just because they think it's valuable to share this information, to get access to it themselves, to share it with others. But we also need people just to fill out the damn survey um, and to do it relatively quickly. You know, and, and in that case, you may have to use a little bit of extrinsic uh, motivation, but you want to be thoughtful about it. You, you want to figure out you know, when the gains that you're going to get from doing it actually outweigh whatever the, the, the negative consequences um, might be. And uh, you, you, you called out a, a quote here that, um, that I'll read out from the book. And it goes, um, there is an aspect of intrinsic motivation that sets it quite apart from extrinsic control. It's an aspect that's almost spiritual. I like that that word there, spiritual. It has to do with life itself. It is vitality, dedication, transcendence. It is what one experiences at those times that Robert Henry has called more than ordinary moments of existence. And uh, and we can relate that to what uh, Mikhaili uh, Csikszentmihalyi calls flow. Another another great concept. You know, when you're when you're really motivated, intrinsically motivated. Motivated, you're really absorbed in the learning you're doing and the practice that you're doing. You enter this state that, uh, you know, as, as, as DC has written here, is, is practically spiritual. Well, right. And one of his points that he's making uh, by calling it spiritual is that it, the act itself is sort of its own justification, that there's right. something about just the experience of um, that moment is worth the moment itself. It doesn't have to be, you know, for the purpose of anything or have a particular goal. Um, and so, you know, that then in the context of learning brings us to the conclusion then that there is um, with a certain type of learning, at least the learning that's freely entered into by the learner that's truly intrinsically motivated, that experience is worthwhile just for itself. Right, and I think, you know, yeah. Regardless of what comes from it. And I think this yeah. is such an important insight and to think about in the context of learning because we get mm-hmm. so focused on, okay, well, what's the ROI of this, you know, training course or this, you know, um, intervention that we're going to do to teach people? What, you know, what's the outcome? And I'm not saying that we should totally ignore the outcome. It's like you're saying, Jeff, we can't totally ignore the extrinsic, uh, you know, influence that we may be able to have on learners and on learning. But it's also really important to just think about just this idea that it doesn't have to be uh, the means to an end. It can just be an end in itself, learning. Yeah, and, and we know folks are concerned about this. In fact, the first time we, we've written uh, about DC and motivation in the past before, I think the first time we started really speaking about it like this, though, was, was last year, uh, really earlier this year, the 2018 LTD, because the topic had come up around checkbox learning. Like people are you know, engaging in education just to check the box. And this happens a lot with CE, CPE, CME-driven learning, you know, and, and dedicated learning professionals, learning leaders are concerned about this because we don't want people to just be checking the box. You know, we want them to be engaged at the level we've just been talking about. And, you know, there, there's no magic button to push to make that happen, but you have to understand this stuff that we're talking about right now, autonomy, competence, connectedness, to figure out how you can bring those out in a, a learning experience to hopefully, you know, get people to move beyond checkbox uh, learning. And you'll have some who will just naturally do that anyway. But, you know, you're going to have a significant number who 
are just checking the box. And um, and I should say, as, as an aside, too, I'm realizing as we're talking about this that uh, we should do an episode at some point, too, on flow. We just mm-hmm. we brought up that that concept there with uh, Mihaly uh, Csikszentmihalyi, whose name I finally mastered pronouncing. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> got a tricky name there. So now that I know how to pronounce it, we either need to do an episode about it on our own or we need to see if we can actually get him um, to, to come on the show for for an interview because it, it dovetails very nicely with this uh, uh, whole uh, area of, of motivation. And so when I think about motivation and in the context of learning, I mean, I see that there's an intersection at at least three points. Um, So the first one is that, um, is the point when a decision is made to engage in a learning experience. So this might be, you know, when someone decides to buy a course or decides to register for a conference or even decides just to carve out the time for Mm -hmm. self-study on a particular um, topic. And so, you know, here motivation can impact whether the individual decides to learn, you know, sort of whether to do it or not do it, what she decides to learn, um, you know, and I think this can fall a little bit into kind of, is it about just checking the box of something that has to be done, or is it really about more of a, um, a meaningful uh, um, articulation of a goal? And then, of course, also which option a learner might choose from the array of options. So that's, you know, one point of intersection between motivation and learning. It's that decision is when the decision is made to engage in a learning experience. And I think, you know, there's a clear connection here. and We've talked about it many times before. You've written articles about it, I know, um, uh, uh, between education and marketing um, and understanding that, uh, you know, when you're marketing, you have to understand uh, the motivation of the learner if you expect to actually get that learner's attention and convert that learner into uh, a learner. So, you know, understanding motivation from the marketing perspective and then bringing that in, obviously, to the educational experience. Absolutely. And so then the second um, point of, of intersection between motivation and learning is is during the learning experience itself. So, you know, here we have a motivation determining how much attention the learner even gives to the experience, how invested she is in understanding what's being taught, um, and and just how engaged she is in the activities that that are being used to to you know deliver the the knowledge or the skills or the the information. So that's the the second point during the learning experience, and then the third. Part would be applying the learning. I think we all um, know and agree that you know beyond the context of the learning experience in itself, we want the learners to go out and actually do something with what they've learned. And so, this is then where motivation impacts um, how well a learner applies what um, she's been taught, whether that's on the job or elsewhere in the you know quote real world. Um, or even frankly, you know, this is where the learner decides whether she's going to apply what she's learned at all. Yeah, and this is something that we have obviously uh, talked and, and written quite a bit about. This gets into impact, you know, and whether you're really going to move the dial uh, with the learning that um, that you're offering. I mean, we all know, we've all experienced it ourselves, where you know we're, we're maybe sitting in a conference session or whatever it is, and. And we're pumped up at the end, you know. We're 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 feeling, oh yeah, you know, great ideas here, great stuff. Uh, but then you get back to the office, you get back into real life, and it fades away. And um, you know, the motivation may still be latent there, um, but you know, we have to think as learning professionals, as learning leaders, how do we make it not just latent, but help keep bringing it to the the surface? And you know, we in last year's LTD, we we discussed practices like boosting. 
um, you know, following a, a learning event and I think time boosting into what's really going to be motivational for the learner so that she does uh, apply uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, a lot of what can be done with, uh, you know, micro learning, for example, could be used um, in, in this way to, to help keep that motivation um, at, at a level that the learner is, is going to be paying attention so it doesn't just become latent and then fade away uh, over time. And so I think the interesting thing is that DC's work tells us that the more choice um, and the more kind of, um, the more that the decisions at each of these three points, that decision to engage in learning, the participation in a learning experience, and then the application of the learning, the more that we as learning business professionals, those of us who provide learning opportunities, the more we can create conditions that foster intrinsic motivation at each of those points, then the more effective the learning is going to be. And that means the impact's going to be greater, as we were you know, just talking about right. impact there. Um, the more likely we're going to be able to actually move the needle for that individual learner, but also even more broadly for you know the field or the profession or the industry at large. And, and this is again, you know, one of those tricky areas we talked about. You know, balancing extrinsic and intrinsic in the first place. And you know, with in our view, the the, the tilting more towards intrinsic and trying to find that intrinsic uh, motivation. With choice, of course, there's got to be a balance too, because we know uh, you know DC says. Yeah, more choice is good. You have that sense of autonomy. You have that sense of control. But we also know from a lot of other research, I'm thinking like Barry Schwartz and people like that, that too much choice is bad. So, you know, it's part of our challenge, real challenge, um, as learning uh, professionals, learning leaders, to figure out how to set context, to curate. We've talked about curation uh, uh, quite a bit um, recently and, and in the past as well. It's an ongoing theme. Um, and to frame things in a way that, yes, the, the learner has choices, but you've made those choices, you know, rational and, and relevant and, you know, put it into a context where they feel like they've got control, but you're not overwhelming them at, at the same time. And, and we all know that's, that's a tall order. That's, that's why this is a, a very challenging and important profession that we're in. Well, and so you pointed out one challenge, which is this issue of balance. But the other trick is that, you know, we can't intrinsically motivate others. Right, right. I mean, that, you know, us as an outside force, um, you know, trying to to make someone intrinsically think something else—that's that's an oxymoron or right. just outright impossible. And so, you know, just try intrinsically motivating your kids to clean their rooms. <laughs> you'll you'll get the, the nature of this challenge. Yes. <laughs> and so, so what we're left with is is this challenge around creating conditions that foster intrinsic motivation, and that's you know pretty tricky. Um, but luckily, you know, DC and with his work, he, he gets into some guidance around what it looks like to foster intrinsic motivation. Um, and, and first up, I'll note that, you know, he, he talks a lot about um, people in one-up positions. And I like this because it puts a lot of um, relationships, a lot of different uh uh, groups of people kind of mm -hmm. under one umbrella. So, you know, a, a one-up position might be a teacher vis-a-vis um, -vis her students, or um, it might be a boss vis-a-vis -vis her direct reports, or parents vis-a-vis um, -vis their kids. And so all of those people, the the teacher, the, the boss or manager, the, the parents, all of them are in one-up positions. And so, you know, what DC looked at a lot in his research and work is around what can people in one-up positions do to help foster or create that uh, intrinsic motivation in, in the people in that one-down position. 
And, you know, the interesting thing here is that he gets into kind of a, a distinction between controlling behaviors and then what he calls autonomy supportive behaviors. And so autonomy support means to relate to others, whether that's our children, our students, our employees, as human beings, as active agents who are worthy of support um, rather than as objects to be manipulated for our own gratification. And of course, that means taking their perspective and seeing the world from their point of view as we relate to them. And of course, autonomy support may require more work, uh, it usually does, but then that's our responsibility. We are socializing agents, basically, uh, as, as people who are responsible for providing learning experiences. And you know, for us to expect responsibility from others, which we certainly do want learners to step up and take responsibility, we've talked about that concept before, but if we're going to expect that to happen, we must accept our own responsibility as the agents of their socialization, of their learning, basically. Yes, and so you know, you gave us a definition of autonomy support. That's still kind of high, highfalutin. It's sort of you know high-minded. This is what it, you know autonomy support. It means thinking about the other person's perspective, really genuinely understanding that. But uh, luckily for us, DC gets even more specific about what autonomy support can look like in the context of um, specific situations. And again, this is based on some you know actual field work, actual um, research projects that they did. And um, he gets into at least three things that, that can help. And so the first one is to provide rationale. So in our context, when we're thinking about learning, making sure that the learner understands or um, is given you know, resources to help her understand why she might need to learn this. So providing rationale is one important aspect of autonomy support. And then another is to acknowledge that people might not want to do what they're being asked to do. Hard to believe, but yeah, sometimes we, we don't necessarily want to do what we're being asked. So for example, you know, while I love to learn, there are also downsides. You know, if, if nothing else, it's a demand on time and can thereby create stress at work, at home, or both. And I think this is something that uh, we all see with the, the learners that we serve. And then the third way to um, help provide autonomy support is to remember to invite rather than demand. So this is about the language and the style that you use. So when appealing to uh, learners, when addressing them, you want to acknowledge as much as possible that the learner has a choice. So it really is more of an invitation rather than you must do this or you should do this. And so I think, you know, that that, that concept of autonomy support and those Three, um, you know, ways to provide for autonomy support are whether well, so important. I think that's probably good food for thought to to take away from this episode of, of the podcast and to think about how you can do those three things uh, and to think about everything else we've covered here. There's a lot more to this book. We said at the very beginning, we can't cover uh, all of it. Um, we really, really do emphatically recommend that you get your own copy of Why We Do What We Do, Understanding Self-Motivation by Edward Deasy, and, uh, and go through it. Mark it up um, and, and start implementing uh, any of this that, that you're not implementing today. So with that, we'll wrap up this uh, all-too-brief look into motivation. Uh, as usual, you can get show notes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 162. And when you check out the show notes, you're going to see options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, and if you're not already a subscriber, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as those 
numbers are one way that we gauge the impact of this podcast. It's one way that we get motivated about doing this work. And we're happy to accept that that small dose of extrinsic motivation to see our see our numbers go up there. Um, we are, of course, very intrinsically motivated to do this, or we wouldn't be sitting here doing it in the first place. We'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that uh, you get your podcast, if that's uh, Stitcher, or if it's Google Podcasts, wherever. If it is on iTunes, all you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll put you in the right place. Salise and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast to pop up whenever a learning professional, learning business leader is out there looking for topics like the ones we cover. So please do us and your learning business peers a favor and take time today to leave a rating and review for the Leading Learning Podcast. And we'd be grateful if you would check out our sponsor for this episode, Learning Technology Design at ltd.tagoras.com. Again, this is our annual virtual conference. And if you, like most of our leading learning listeners, work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development, it is an event not to be missed. Finally, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, just pick the social network or other medium of your preference and spread the good word. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.